I started taking the drugs more to block my empathic abilities, which then turned me into more of a narcissist. Oh, yeah. Explain that. (laughs) I mean, I can explain that. That's totally explainable because it's basically the story of every addict I've ever met. I'm so tired of feeling. I'm so tired of hurting. I don't want to feel this way anymore. I don't want to hurt anymore. Therefore, I self-medicate. Therefore, I take this drug because it makes me feel invincible or it makes me feel like I don't care about anything or it makes me go to sleep. And when I'm sleeping, I don't have to think about any of it. You know, whatever drug it is, those drugs, you're harming yourself more because you're damaging your brain more and you're causing yourself to feel those feelings even harder every time you come down. Hello, and thank you for listening. I am your host, Alan. And I'm your host, Annie. And you are listening to Diary of a Former Addict. And today on episode two, we are talking about something that we hear a lot in recovery. Today we're talking about codependency, and I'm going to let Annie kick it off um, by giving us some of the facts about codependency. Okay, so codependency can actually happen out of addiction. Did you know that? Yes. So codependency can happen in a relationship. Um, It's actually something that's known as relationship addiction, or the addiction to be with someone. And most of the time when people are in a codependent relationship, it's because they feel they can't function well with another person and they can't function well without the person they're in that relationship with. What happens in an addictive relationship when there's codependency, it could be a parent, it could be a child, it could be your spouse, it could be your boyfriend or girlfriend, it could be your brother or sister that you can be codependent with. And the codependency is created because of the addiction. And there's usually someone in your family or it could even be your partner that feels like they have to take care of people all the time. And the codependent relationship will start with, you know, this really volatile person that has the addiction. They have a ton of emotion. They have all these issues. And then that person that feels like they have to care for that person um, feels like they're the only one that can do it. I know for a fact I've been codependent. I've had people codependent on me. Addicts just aren't codependent on drugs, you right. know. And those of us with substance use disorder, or who have been through treatment, is that we we are looking for something to replace those drugs with because we are very codependent creatures, and we need something to either distract us or for us to distract our, you know, or to feel that we are helping in some way. That could also lead into the discussion of why you shouldn't be in a relationship early in recovery. Oh, girl. Girl, (laughs) let me tell you what. Let me tell you what. No interest. None. So before my active addiction, I was never a very sexual person. I found sex to be like, okay, whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. And during my substance use disorder and during my active addiction and, and during all of that, I, I at one point questioned if I was addicted to the drugs or the sex. Um, I totally understand that. And so it was like, it was a hard toss up, but now I have no desire to be in a relationship because I don't know what a healthy, good relationship looks like for me. Well, and that's definitely something we can talk about in a little bit, what a healthy relationship yeah. is and what yeah. the difference between the two are. Yes, queen. Let's do that. Yes, queen. (laughs) (laughs) 
But I want to talk a little more about when it happens in addiction. What happens usually is that one person ends up taking advantage of the other. And the person that's being taken advantage of doesn't, doesn't realize it. And it's usually the person that becomes the caregiver. You mean the person being taken advantage of becomes the caregiver? Mm-hmm. In an addictive relationship, the caregiver is worried constantly, you know, just mm-hmm. worried out of their mind. Like, where are they? What are they doing? Um, feel like they have to go out and even get in the car and look for where they are when they're out running or they're at the bar, you know? I was just going to say, like, personally, I've been through this and I know I'm a codependent personality to begin with. Most people are that are like caring and, and empathic. So it's easy to fall into that. Like I have stories where I would go out and, you know, drive in my car thinking I would just be able to find the person I was trying to find that I was in love with just racking my brain and feeling like my heart was breaking into trying to find them. And it was just so toxic. I want to come back to the empathic thing as well. So let's put a pin on that one. I wouldn't say my parents and I have an unhealthy codependent relationship together because there is such a difference as healthy and unhealthy. it's It's all about boundaries. When you have healthy boundaries, it's not even codependency. Codependency isn't healthy. Really. It's not at all. Interdependency is healthy. Right. That's where, that's the ticket. That's the word. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I, I feel bad because I know I put my parents through those times of worry that you were talking about and it might not have like occupied their whole day or their whole mind or their whole heart or whole body. But at one point or another, they would come back to that feeling of, I just hope he's okay. Back to the empathic thing. Mm -hmm. It almost seemed as if any time that my mom was wondering if I was okay, I was just about to call her. So that empathic connection is what is what let me know that my mom was feeling that she wasn't like, okay with me, you know, or, or wasn't okay with, with not hearing from me for a while or something was wrong that I would feel the need to call her and let her know I'm okay. But even more than that, you know, there's, there's been times whenever I was in my marriage and um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't hear from my, my ex for a while. And then I would start to wonder if he was okay. And there was a period when he was in prison Mm-hmm. I felt his pain from prison. Oh my gosh. Like, yeah. I felt his fear and how lonely he was and how scared he was. I felt that. Mm-hmm. And I embraced that and embodied it onto myself. Oh yeah. Which it's, led me to be very destructive. It's emotionally harmful. It literally kills your insides, your emotions, and it causes a lot of trauma. And they're in that situation at the moment that they are, don't really realize it. It's not until you start allowing yourself to detach from that, realize how much you've been hurt. I find it interesting. I found this sort of like this list of like the the signs of a codependent caretaker, things that they kind of go through. And I feel like we can all at one point relate to this, Mm -hmm. which I think why codependency is such a a great topic for this podcast, but also just in a broader sense of of human nature. And life Um, and relationships. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, it starts with number one, you sacrifice yourself Two, self-righteous about opinions. <laughs> Three, you're, you feel compelled to help. You feel responsible for others before yourself. Five, you're judgmental, knows what's best for others. Seven, gives with strings attached or expectations, feels exhausted, irritated, frustrated, anxious, feels annoyed when advice isn't followed, discourages others from independent thinking, is pushy, not assertive, tries to control others, crosses boundaries and gives unsolicited advice. Now, this says for the codependent caretaker. Wait, that doesn't make any sense. That sounds like a codependent person. It makes sense for a codependent caretaker. 
It really does because you start reaching that line where it's, you lose yourself. It absolutely makes sense. I mean, I fell into that where I was just so obsessed with caring for the other person that I did become judgmental. I did become pushy. I wasn't really, I wasn't any better for him than he was for me. Right. So, okay. Now that you say it that way, I do see how I was this way in my, my previous relationship, how I felt like I knew what was best for my partner and then they weren't following it. I would get annoyed. I'd get frustrated anxious because I always felt that I was right. Right. And even though I understood addiction and that it is an illness, it is a disease. I was still extremely judgmental of him because he hurt me, kept hurting me. (laughs) I didn't understand why. (laughs) And that kind of feels like that kind of falls back into this whole, um, the idea of being vindictive is you can go from being this, this codependent caretaker to being a vindictive Mm -hmm. person because you want them to feel pain. Let me tell you the but, bitterness, the bitterness that happens in your right. soul and your heart. It's crazy. And the if only way to really ever get rid of that is to let it go. And it's, I, I hate when people say that because it's like, it's so hard <laughs> to just let shit go. Let it go. But, <laughs> right, right. You gotta, you gotta pull out, you gotta freeze that bitch out, you know, like let it go. <laughs> but it's so hard. I was so vindictive and so mm-hmm. like angry after my relationship that I wanted him to feel the same way that I felt. But after going to treatment and learning, that person is never going to feel the same way that you do. Right. So you're only hurting yourself. So you have to get to a place of of acceptance and to be able to move on, which is different Mm -hmm. for everybody. I found this other really cool thing. It's like a three column graph. It says, you know, narcissist, codependent and healthy. Oh, wow. Um, Narcissism. Yeah. And it's, yeah. And I mean, narcissism and and codependence sort of go hand in hand because narcissistic people tend to look for codependent caregivers to take advantage of. Absolutely. Um, Let's start with the narcissist. They are people below, um, people below me. I am superior on all levels. Uh, I'm entitled to be treated better than others, and I will violate your boundaries and exploit you on every level, then blame you for doing so. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> it sounds like you've been with one. <laughs> I have. <laughs> Maybe. Me too. And I think experience a narcissist, whether it's in a relationship or like a work relationship or, or some type of professional setting. Mm-hmm. But the thing is about narcissists is A, they don't know that they're narcissistic. And if they do, they don't care. Yeah, there's nothing um, there. There's no remorse. And I was listening to a podcast where um, they were talking about narcissistic people and narcissistic relationships. And you cannot fix. You have yep. got to turn around and run away. Yeah. And it took me 13 years to run away. It's not anybody's fault. A narcissist is, I, I read something once that a narcissist and an empath were raised in turmoil, both of them. A narcissist and empath both go through trauma. The empath chooses to learn from that, move forward and take the positive of of it and help others. And the narcissist hangs on to the bitterness and the anger and chooses to hurt others. Right. And I mean, and narcissists too, it, it all depends on who surrounds them as well. When you have people feeding into that narcissistic tendency saying, no, you're right. You're right. That person should be you know, punished or blah, 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 rather than saying, no, I don't, I don't think that's quite how it happened. It's all about who you surround yourself with people. Yeah. But you know, narcissists tend to hang out with people that will, will feel that it's like the the same misery loves company. (laughs) But see, I feel like there are predatory narcissists as well. 
oh, yeah. who look for the weak. Oh, yeah. And people that they can manipulate. But okay, so our codependent column, back to my little graph. Everyone is better than me and I am not good enough. I will struggle to set boundaries and think it is my fault. You exploited me. Ha! Again, a magic moment. <laughs> like, light bulb, ding, goes off. And it's like, oh my God, I can see now. Um, I was this way from like high school and to college and to undergrad and to, you know, my whole, whole formative years of my life, I was this way. And I don't know how I got this way because I recall a, a, an experience or a moment that I'm like, oh my gosh, that's, that's whenever this codependency started. It just, that's how I always was. You weren't always that way. You weren't born that way. Well, I mean, I've always been somebody who never felt like I was good enough or that there's always somebody better than me. There's always somebody. Um, but that's a learned behavior. Like I tell right, my so, clients, you know why you are the way you are, but it hurts too much to talk about why or to actually like accept that. I became somebody who was so susceptible to being gaslit. It's not yeah. funny. Yeah. Because I was always somebody, and I still am somebody and, and to a degree, that always cared about others before my own needs, but I never felt like anybody cared about mine. Right. I get you. We're very you much know. alike. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. That's why we're the same person. That's why this podcast is very one-sided. Sorry, narcissist, but you don't get a chance. <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> um, going to have all these narcissistic people sounding off in the comments. Narcissism is a disease. It is. Um, <laughs> but um, So is addiction. But hey, we're rocking it in recovery. So maybe they can recover right. too. <laughs> right. Well, actually, I was reading that podcast I was telling you about, about the narcissist, is that narcissistic people who have substance use disorder it's very hard a to even get them into rehab because they never think they have a problem or everybody else is a problem they're not the problem exactly and they're too smart to go there because nobody there knows what they're talking about but i feel like and i think you mentioned this earlier didn't you mention something about how you can become a like a codependent a narcissistic person with your drug use and then like because i feel like at a point i was maybe more of a narcissist in my addiction than i was codependent yes because and it it's gonna sound weird but narcissism can happen with certain types of drugs more than others no i agree in working with people with substance use disorder i have seen it a lot with meth users yep (laughs) i don't know but the meth that's caused a chemical you know imbalance that caused the narcissism if it's just the way it makes you feel like you're on top of the world and you you're invincible when you're using meth, it very much gives you this sort of sense of, I am better than everybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, my mind is now running at, at 725% and everybody else is running at six. It's almost like a God drug, you know, where you feel like you're, you're everything and you are really nothing. But you start to treat people differently because you start to lose weight or you get your confidence back a little bit and you start to notice people are taking, taking, um, taking notice of you your changes and you're like oh this feels good oh mm-hmm. I like this like I once told somebody on Grinder. I'm sorry I don't know if I can say Grinder on our podcast but I don't nobody's paying us so <laughs> I'll say whatever <laughs> um, I think it's okay <laughs> I mean whatever they can whatever it's my personal conversations um <laughs> but, <laughs> but I told somebody one time they messaged me and I actually told them I said look at your profile picture look at mine 
what makes you think that I'm going to sleep with you? Oh, wow. Like that kind of like, I don't know if that's narcissism or just being a bitch, but that's sort of of like (laughs) entitlement that I gave myself. Like, like who am I to say something to anybody, you know, especially that cruel. I don't think it just is um, tapped to meth, the other drug, like I said. Um, Mm -hmm. Alcohol affects people in different ways. Some people who are alcoholics are super depressed, but also narcissistic. And especially, you know, in the middle of like a long period of drinking, you can see that. If you had my problems, you'd drink too. Mm -hmm. So I I feel like that's, that's something a lot of alcoholics resort to. It's like, well, my world is so bad. My world is terrible. And I think that's something everybody can relate to, that sort of, sort of feeling. Like, you know, like, I would I would often say, like, well, you know, I can't deal with all my problems, so I'm just going to get high. But really, I mean, I'm the one who created those problems because I got high. Right. And it's so hard to see that in the middle of it. Right. It's just as hard as the person who's taking care of the person who's using. It's hard to see in the middle of it. It's, you almost mm-hmm. get it. You get addicted to taking care of them. That's really what codependency is. And no matter how bad it makes you feel, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how emotional you feel, you need to do it consistently and constantly. I can't, I can only imagine, you know, and and I've been on both sides. You've been on both sides of it. Right. Um, It's hard. Like you, you, if you imagine yourself standing in the middle of a circle you're in slow motion. The entire world is spinning around you, but there's these people on the perimeter of that circle looking in at you. Mm-hmm. And those are the people that want you to be better and want you to get, get well. And they want you to, to fix your life, but you're too selfish and focused on yourself. But you're, you know those people are in your peripheral because you're going to need them eventually. Like you're setting people up when you have no money and you need money. Mm-hmm. You're setting people up whenever you have no home and you need a home. You're setting people up for, you know, whatever disaster may come. Right. You're setting people up for what I was about to talk about next. Oh, yay. (laughs) Enabling. Because Uh, when you're in a codependent relationship, it turns into enabling. And it's mm -hmm. where that one person who is the caretaker or they are your rescuer, they enable the other person to continue their destructive behavior. They enable the other person to continue using their drug. Um, they're continually trying to fix the problem or they ignore it and pretend it doesn't exist. What happens is you're starting to do things for them that actually help them continue. So examples, um, you know, I've called bosses before they're sick. They can't come in or, you know, things like that. A wife will make excuses for her husband or a friend may bail a buddy out of jail or the wife goes in the middle of the night to go get their husband out of jail, you know, and one of the biggest things that I've heard and one of the most sad things that I've heard, and I've even been privy to it, I'm, I've actually done it. Why can't you go get it for me? I'm going to be sick if you don't get it for me. Form of codependency and enabling that's, it's just a disgusting feeling. Like, you know, you don't want to give that to the person, but you do it because you don't want them to be sick. A very hard time for me was, was when I went into my final treatment right beforehand. Um, my parents told me, no, I couldn't come home and they weren't going to enable me anymore. And I actually threw this back in their face, Annie. And I said, every time that you never showed up whenever I was younger, was you enabling me? And they're like, like, what the fuck is he saying? You know, like mm-hmm. he's crazy. But I right. said, you know, when I would plan birthday parties around your schedule and you wouldn't show up 
or I'd have shows back. This was back when I was doing drag. When I had shows that I wanted you to come to really bad, I would plan them for you and you wouldn't come. When I won my award for best play or best writing at the Fringe Festival, you didn't come see my show. And I was like, I have always felt like I was an outsider in the family. I was like, and that enabled me to do drugs. That didn't enable me to do drugs. That was trauma that I right. use as a justification for doing drugs. That's the difference. Justification, yep. <laughs> justification you know? is a bad, bad word. But I do remember uh, my last treatment center calling people to see if somebody would come pick me up. And the hardest word I heard, the hardest thing I've ever heard this whole time was, was the word no. Or no, I'm not going to do that. And it was my one of my really good friends. She, I could hear her like debating it in her in her voice when she said, you know what? I, I just can't do that. I, I will not do that. And the way she said it was so, like, it, it sounded like it was, like, the hardest thing she's ever had to get out of her mouth. She said it almost with hope, also, that if she said no, then I would stay. I kind of, in, in a weird way, I, I said to myself, all right, then that's, that's it. I'm just going to have to stay. And we're going to have to see this through. I'm glad she said no to you. Me too. I really am. <laughs> I really, I am very, so thankful for her for saying no to me that day. Because, I don't know, I feel like I, I purposely made a phone list of people I knew would not enable me to be able to leave. Good. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I knew that these, I think I had like six people on my list, six or seven people, and I um, called through all of them, nobody answered. And then I called back again, and, and my friend who, who said no picked up. And then I didn't even try everybody else after that. I just said, you know what, if she says no, they're all going to say no. Because I tried to convince her. I was trying to convince her. I was like, yeah, I'm done with the program. I, fa- I finished. We're good. She's like, it's been four days. I'm like, yep, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> you couldn't call me and say that. <laughs> <laughs> you would have hung up. You wouldn't even have said anything back. You would have said, click. I would have told you I love you. <laughs> <laughs> please, leave, please leave your message at the dial tone. <laughs> and by the way, I love you. Like, <laughs> I do. I love you too. <laughs> um, okay, so that, back to my little chart here. We have the, the final column, the healthy person. The healthy person says, um, I'm not perfect, and that's okay. Nobody's perfect after all. I respect myself and others and expect others to be respectful in return. Mm-hmm. And I will set boundaries if my kindness is exploited and not feel guilty for doing so. Yes. Wow, those are three very hard things for people um, coming out of substance use disorder. Yes. And coming out of their, their addictions. Um, and also coming out of codependency. That is interdependency, just for our listeners know, is that that healthy person that is an interdependent person who can rely on themselves. They surrender the outcome, basically. Right. And there there is healthy relationships that are interdependent relationships where you're both in it for each other, that you're both out for the best for the for the other you know hey i mean that's the long-term goal that you have that with yourself first that you actually feel that you're worthy of having that with someone else right and then that goes back to our dating and recovery which is why they say to give yourself a year because you're really just getting to know yourself you know i'm at 60 days and i am just starting to figure out what my what my do's and my don'ts are i guess is the best way to put that and let's be honest most people who try to get in a relationship early on in recovery usually end up dating someone else who was also early on in recovery. I right. mean, it could be anything, but not now. Not now. The statistics <laughs> say it's not going to work out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I have met somebody and, and we've been hanging out and it's very lovely. I, I enjoy our time together. 
He's very kind. He's very sweet. But I have this fear and this reservation because I I don't know what a health like I said earlier I don't know what a healthy relationship looks like and right. and right now it can be fun you know we're going out to dinner holding hands whatever and that's all fun and, and stuff but I know what's on the other side of that you know I lived through that I am now creating boundaries with myself and with these people that I'm meeting because for some reason and, and I think you know the reason Annie people <laughs> attach to me or gravitate towards me quickly because I am a nice person. I'm a kind person and I, and I listen, you know, I make eye contact when people talk to me, which is something well, that not a lot of people do. You just have this vivacious spirit about you. Your personality is just like, it's, it drives. I said, you're very vivacious. Oh, vivacious. I like that word. It is a good word. It means you're full of life. <laughs> yes. So definitely boys, single boys, um, about six, two hit me up in about a year. <laughs> you vivacious <laughs> <laughs> that is the hardest part that's for me, for me right now in my in my recovery is mm-hmm. creating boundaries setting boundaries without hurting people's feelings and not feeling like I uh, or not feeling guilty about it right because my whole life has been oh I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry oh no I me too I understand that I made mistakes though. Like there are people that I've hurt right. and, and I am sorry for that. Like, especially my children, you know, I mean, right. because it wasn't always around. It was in the middle of going to school that I was using and, you know, I'm sure it was even hard for my husband then, even though they didn't really realize at the time that I was acting all kinds of crazy because of that. Well, you know? I think that, I think the side effects of your use is what they knew and didn't quite understand what was the extent of what was happening. And I think that was just, was just what was frustrating them at the time. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think even, I think that happens to a lot of people at the beginning of their addiction is that the, those who care for them or, or who those who want to help them, the codependent person, mm-hmm. um, the caregiver wants to, understand what is wrong and that not understanding is what really hurts them and upsets them and then that's where the the problems come that you started before about the being angry being judgmental judgmental, yes and and and, you know like like my parents probably never wanted wanted to call me a junkie but like I'm sure they've thought it do you know what I mean Mm -hmm. I mean like I you know, being on both sides of it, it's just, I don't know if it's a curse or a blessing. <laughs> like, I see it from both sides. And I'm super passionate about helping families that have loved ones that are, a, you know, an addict or an alcoholic. I want them to know that it's not their fault. But I also want to teach um, those families that there is hope, but they have to heal themselves. And they have to not let themselves become addicted to the problem. Right. There's there's a level of, of self care and selfishness that those those family and those caretakers have to take on themselves. Yeah. If you don't, you're gonna put yourself in an early grave, probably earlier than, than the person who's going through the substance use disorder. And there's some really, really great programs out there for that for families and for people who are, you know, getting into that codependency. There's Al Anon, which is for yep. loved ones friends of those that are alcoholic there's Maranon for those that are you know addicted to other drugs and there are amazing programs amazing which by the way 
to our listeners, we'll put links to those into the um, to the uh, synopsis of this episode, just so people can click on them and check them out. Well, absolutely, uh, check it out. It, it, it'll change your life. It'll change your life. I think that I think it's so great too that there is a, a group there because you know so many parents and you know grandparents and children and, and husbands and wives and, and you, the list goes on don't understand and don't don't know how to help. Right. So exactly. that's whenever the codependent relationship happens. Right, because, because they, they want to fix it. They're not at all. It's not right. just The other thing the is that people need uh-huh. to know, though, when they go to something like Al-Anon or Naranon, you're not going there so you can fix the person. You're not going there to fix the person that's an addict in your life. You're going there to fix you. Right. And to take care of yourself. It's all about self-care and knowing what you need to do and the boundaries that you need to build to have a successful relationship with them, which is actually a lot more helpful and a lot more supportive to that person in your life that has a substance use disorder. Right. And now to flip the coin for those of us out there that are going through treatment and going through recovery, you need to forgive them for saying no. Absolutely. You cannot hold anger towards them because that's, 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 first of all, it's cruel. That's just holding it over. That's being vindictive. That is, is you just need to forgive them because they were doing what they had to do, you know, and I wrote this before my parents love wasn't going to fix my problems. We needed, I needed help. I need professional help. And so I had to forgive them for saying no. So that's just all, that's a lesson out there to all the, the, those that are, are suffering with substance use disorder to just remember to apologize. Do not hold on to hate. Do not hold on to anger because those people still love you because they're still there. That's the other side of that's the other side of the coin. You got to remember that the people who are standing there whenever you walk out those doors of treatment or that call you or text you or or want to come see you, those are the people that even though they may have said no or they may have turned their back, they turned their back because they didn't want to see you hurt yourself anymore. It's just very painful to watch someone you love do that to themselves constantly and understanding the reason reasoning behind that is actually going to help you help them. It's true. And I think, you know, I used to say that all these people walked out of my life and left me alone, but I didn't, they didn't walk out of my life. I'm the one who walked out of their life. Mm -hmm. I made it nearly impossible for them to reach me or to hang out with me or to get a hold of me. And so it's no surprise that those people had to turn their backs for a little bit because they could still see it happening and they could, they knew where it was heading and they couldn't. Let's be honest here. Let's, let's really be honest here. A codependent relationship with whatever, whomever, the caregivers, the rescuers, the people out there who eventually will turn their back to you because how many times have you said, I'm going to get sober? Mm-hmm. How many times have you said, I'm going to get help after this relapse or this relapse or that relapse? How many times do you have to OD before somebody walks away? So just let that sit in for a second because the thing is, is that these people that turn their backs are preparing themselves for you to die. Think about that. In many cases, yes. They are waiting, literally waiting and, and sitting there watching you as you kill yourself. And then you want to turn around and use them for, for whatever. Well, guess what? They're going to be pissed off and they're not going to be there. I don't know if for everybody it's being pissed off. It's just like, it's a loss of patience. It's a loss of... You reach I your limit. Yeah, you, I, get, I just can't do this anymore. You know? Right. In my case, when I left my husband... I left him because literally my mental health couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't do it anymore. 
it was one of the things I've ever had to do. It wasn't because I hated him. It wasn't because, you know, I, and I think that's the case for a lot of people. It's not about hate or being pissed off or being angry. It's just, you're so freaking hurt and you're so depressed and just, it's just, you feel so low and you can't watch anymore. You can't be there anymore. You can't do it. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I, I think, you know, I, maybe I was being a little harsh with the, the, the being pissed off and the, the, that i mean there's there's a level of that like you know there are people who will be like what the fuck is wrong with you why can't you just get better well uh, right. because we, we I need mean, help I, I said that even that's that judgmental thing that comes out when you are in the right. midst of codependency what's wrong with you <laughs> you know you just want to shake the person right right and i, I and i it's so strange to me now that we're able to sit here and talk about this and it sucks when you're in the middle of those situations and you think there's no hope, you're never going to get out of it. And then you come to a point like right now where we're sitting, we're talking about it and we're like, Oh my God, how much have I survived? Right. <laughs> in just a short period of time. And how yeah. much have I grown in such a short period of time? Right. Um, and that's the difference between learning from it and sitting in it. I, I you know, I look back to and think about the person I was 10, 15 years ago, even because I, I am coming up on my mid thirties it's it's strange for me to look back at the person I used to be because there are still some qualities of that person I see in myself. But as a whole, I'm a completely different person. And I'm okay with that. I'm, I can say here that, yes, I have grown as a human person. I have had terrible, awful human experiences, but I've had some really great experiences as well. And they have shaped me today. And I I like that I don't have to be codependent on somebody to take care of me and I don't have to take care of anybody because I, I can't the same way <laughs> yeah you know I can't care for another person if I can't care for myself and I'm still working on myself one of the biggest spiritual practices that you need in any type of recovery is spiritual alone time like loving yourself spending yes. time alone and it doesn't, it has nothing to do with God. It's just a oneness with the energy inside of you. I mean, it can be God. I mean, it doesn't matter what you believe in is what I was trying to say. Right, right. It doesn't matter who you pray to. You just got to spend some time with that. that and, entity. Yourself and allow yourself to feel the power of that. Right. And I, actually, I will tell you. It, it deepens your relationship with you. And that's so beautiful. It really does. And that's how I came to, to a relationship with myself was through meditation and yoga and, and, and prayer. But and my prayer is, is weird. I pray, you know, I have, a, I have a very organic spirituality. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. I believe that we are all intertwined in this tiny little rock in the universe that is vast and right, like, right. ending and gorgeous and beautiful. So what you're saying really is true. Like, you know, we all have we all have our own entity. I feel that guides us through life. Yes, yeah, and, and that entity is is personal to you, and so it takes time for you to understand that energy, that vibe, and to trust mm-hmm. that entity to take on what you can no longer handle. Right, and you and, have to enter with that. You have to allow it to come into you and find your truth, find your confidence, mm-hmm. peace, and, harmony. You know, and it right. feels wonderful. It does. And it's like, exciting. And like any healthy relationship, communication is key. You have to communicate with Absolutely. your higher power. 
Yep. Um, you can't just like, uh, this always drove me nuts whenever I would hear people say, oh, praise God this, praise God that during the week, but then you don't see them on Sundays at church. Yeah. It's like, that's, that's actually like going to school to, to meet this God that you keep praising or to, to learn about this God that you keep praising and you're not going to learn. Yeah. Like that's just, that never, that I never understood. And, and so now as an adult and what I've been through, I do understand that my higher power is with me daily because my yeah. higher power is my higher self. So like this morning I was feeling off. I had like, just, I was a little, little weird, a little like, like not in my, my groove, I guess. And so I sat down and I did a 15 minute yoga exercise. It was fantastic. And then I did a quick five minute meditation just to mm-hmm. re reintune myself, realign myself. And I've never really been somebody to believe in something like meditation and yoga. And I, I always wanted to know more about it. And I've gotten into crystals too. So it's all <laughs> thing now. But I love you know, it. it's one of those things like if, if you've tried everything else, why not try this? You right. Know? And it, and this isn't saying try what you're trying, like try whatever works for you. Um, in the steps that says, you know, you go after that higher power that is God in your own understanding, right? Right, right. But whatever that higher power is for you, you turn to that higher power for guidance. You turn to that for support. Right. Um, social beings, right? And mm-hmm. from anything, even codependency, because we're talking about that, um, you need to have like this connection. And that mm-hmm. connection with your higher power is a very social thing, you know? It if you is, care about it, you believe it. Yeah, and I think, too, it's almost like, in a way, if you think about it, you're taking all that, that, that you put onto those caregivers, those rescuers, you're not taking it onto yourself, but then you're lifting it up to your higher power and saying, I can't handle this. I need your help. Mm-hmm. But that is, is healthy because that, that higher entity, that, that higher self, is able to take on those those things for you and to to help you understand why this happened this way and, and to understand you know what's ahead of you your higher power can take care of tomorrow while you take care of today yep there's no reason to worry about tomorrow exactly and that's how i've always lived i've always lived one day ahead or two days ahead you know yeah and it causes so much anxiety. Like, it does. Oh my God, it causes so much anxiety in my life. I would have and the, panic And then depression comes from living behind you, you know? Right. That's where that let go comes from. <laughs> exactly. You gotta let it go. This whole thing just comes down to let it go. Just some, just some tips on helping yourself heal yeah. from and loving yourself and heal from codependency. The one is have a spiritual practice, which we were just talking about. Right. Allow yourself to have support. Go to meetings like Al-Anon. Go to meetings like Naranon. If if you're um, in recovery, they actually follow steps that are very much alike. Um, mm-hmm. and, 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 and meet your needs. Make sure you take care of your health. Make sure you're eating. Make sure you don't neglect yourself because in caring for that other person, you were forgetting about who you are and taking care of everything that you need to take care of for yourself. Go to the doctor, eat well, you know, go for a walk, make sure you have fun. Make sure you, if you had hobbies that you start doing them again, you know, maybe you forgot the things you like, try to figure out some things that you like. And most of all, protect yourself, protect yourself, protect your heart. Don't allow that to happen anymore because you're worth more than that. 
you're worth taking care of yourself and having someone who takes care of you too. Annie, that is a beautiful, beautiful way of um, bringing us to a close. That being said, I feel like this was a very good discussion, Annie. I enjoyed <laughs> our, our conversation this evening. Be a survivor. Be a survivor, exactly. Um, yeah. Guard your hearts and gird your loins. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Annie, for, for joining me. Um, I always love our talks. I feel me so much too. better after them. And I hope our listeners out there are enjoying this as well. Don't forget to check out uh, diaryofaformeraddict.com for weekly blog entries um, as well as updates about the podcast and there is some merch available as well so check it out thank you good night <laughs>